Are you looking for a history podcast to grab some quotes for a last minute paper? Or maybe your presentation on Jane Eyre needs a punch up. Then do not listen to us. Do not. Like, we're begging of you. <laughs> I'm Ashley. And I'm Kelsey. And we host Make It Modern, a podcast where we talk about history, literature, and all things made before the year 2010 in a way that would probably be frowned upon by any teacher. We basically delve into the past and stumble into the present. We discuss things like what type of rosé is appropriate for a medieval execution. And how we've all been binglied one time or another. So if you love hearing about people, places, and things with so many issues they could be a Julia Michaels song, join us every Thursday on Spotify and iTunes. And be sure to follow us on Facebook at Make It Modern and also on Twitter and Instagram at capital M-I-M underscore podcast. This one's going out to all the ladies. Before we even like researched or decided to do this episode, I've been really on like a Tori Amos kick. Uh-huh. I'm like that shit holds up. Yeah, I've been playing um Under the Pink a lot in the last week. Ooh. Which is my favorite. See, Little Earthquakes is my favorite. That's a good one too. That's that's a that still speaks to me as an adult. Yeah. It's nice. Like it's nice to have something you can revisit and be like, oh no, I'm still into this. Tori Amos transcends all time and space. She does. It's weird how, like, when you're, like, an 11-year-old girl, you're like, oh, my God, I get this. But then you're like, I'm a 35-year-old woman, and I still get this. And I get it on a much deeper level. <laughs> I didn't start listening to her until I was in my 20s, at least. No, I stole my sister's CDs. Sorry, Brashit. <laughs> <laughs> I stole my sister's mixtapes. Sorry, Aaron. Yeah. Like, I totally was like, oh, these are real good. Yeah. At least with CDs... Um, you didn't have to worry about getting matching it to the exact spot that it was in when you started using it. Oh my god! Oh, I was. CDs were brilliant. I was super sneaky about it. Yeah, super sneaky. Yeah, fucking technology is amazing. Now MP3 is like I can just bum off your Spotify account. Yeah, now they don't even make analog tape anymore, right? What a time to be alive! Yeah, I oh. think. Kinda. I miss like, tapes. I do too, but I'm I'm all right with not having tapes anymore. Yeah. Look, I'll, I I I collect vinyl again. I I'm not gonna do tapes. Yeah, that just takes up so much room. I feel for like no I say reason. that now, and I'm gonna change my mind. <laughs> In another twenty years, we're all gonna have tapes again. All right. And Walkmans, VHSs. Ugh. Oh man, I can't wait to have a Walkman again. I'm really <laughs> excited for that. Really shitty headphones. It's gonna be a good time. They were so much better than the disc man because you could hold it in your hand. That anti skip was bullshit. Oh yeah, totally. Anti skip my butthole. Anyway, welcome to Rock Candy. Hi. <laughs> we're talking about buttholes. We no. are. No, no, we are your weekly podcast, bringing you sweet treats from the world of music, stories, and tales, and all that good shit. I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. And this week we have. As we were previously discussing, Tori Amos as our subject for the mm -hmm. day. And very exciting. I am happy to be covering her. She is definitely a like one of my earliest feminist icons. Yeah. For sure. Because I was super into her when I was in uh, middle school. That's right. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. 
she uh she means a lot to me so i was really happy to do this she's one of those people that she's just so pretty like she's so ethereal i can't get over how pretty she is yeah every time i see her like i I don't want that to be like the only thing i think (laughs) about people but tori amos is just so flipping pretty she's textbook definition pretty but she's not like she's not like supermodel pretty. No, no that's what I mean. I she's think she's like, pretty because she's just so unique. Looking. She's unconventionally beautiful. Oh, and yeah. I love it. No, I'm I'm here for it. And she just has a beautiful voice. Mm-hmm. And like, really, all of her lyrics are so well thought out. And she's, I, pff, she's her, so fucking, the amount of just pure talent this yeah, woman has. She's so talented. It's like, okay, I'll just sit in the corner and kick rocks because I'm scum. <laughs> I'm just gonna kick rocks. I'm garbage. I'm garbage next to Tori Amos. <laughs> you know what? But she wouldn't want you to think that. And no. that's also what makes her beautiful. God damn it. Yeah. She'd look at you and be like, no, you're, you're very beautiful in your own way. And you would believe it right in the core of your heart. You'd be like, oh my God, Tori Amos said I'm beautiful. <laughs> oh God. I, then my and life is right. heart-shaped stone that is in my chest just <laughs> starts lighting up a little bit. And Ashley's heart grew one size that day. <laughs> Just one. Just baby one. Ste- baby steps. Let's be Just realistic, guys. Size. Baby steps. Yeah. And yes, to get us along with our episode, I picked up a beer called Rabbit Rabbit from Lamplighter Brewing Co. It is a double Indian pale ale, much in the stylings of a New England pale ale. Also, it's juicy. <laughs> it's a juice bomb. Which every time somebody says the word juicy, immediately to my head, the the fucking image pa- Paris Hilton with a little dog with a, in a tracksuit with juicy written across the butt. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I think. Like of I want to put sweatpants on this can of beer that just say juicy on the butt. I just feel like, oh my god, this beer is good. That's it's a juicy beer. Can you hold my dog? <laughs> While I drink these beers. <laughs> but you might be like, rabbit? Why Why rabbit? And that's because in the song Cornflake Girl, she has that whole, you know, bridge. The end part. The end part. It's like, rabbit! Yeah. So I immediately, when I saw it, like, that's the first thing that came to my head. And I was like, well, I got to pick this up because it immediately evoked Tori Amos for me. But then I started kind of having this desire to make up a line of beers all named after Tori Amos songs. And I really, I started like making up a song in my head to Cornflake Girl. It was like, never was a cornflake ale. I thought it'd be a substitution by a couple raisin ales. They're going for the right price. I have too many in sleepy time. This beer was here last week, wasn't it? Yeah, that was me last week. You bet your life it was. (laughs) And then it's like, Rabbit, where'd you put the beers, girl? And I just want to make up a whole song now about Cornflake Girl, about beers. But I also want to make up a beer called Silent All These Beers. That would be a good one. Right? I I have so many. I can make a butt ton of fucking Toriamos beers now yeah. and I really want to but that means I have to learn how to brew beer just get somebody else to do it yeah whoever wants to be a partner with me and make yeah. beers and let me name them after Toriamos songs I will help I just don't know how to do it myself so and now know. they have uh, milkshake IPAs oh that's true you can call it little milkshakes oh my god I did it 
Then, of course, you have to have, like, a raspberry sour and call it raspberry swirl. Yes. Yeah. Actually, there's so many raspberry beers. I mean, that was that would have been my, if I didn't go with Rabbit Rabbit, I would yeah. have gotten a raspberry something. Because now that it's spring, that shit is out in force right now. Yeah. You couldn't bring out the fucking stouts when it turned winter. Yeah, that's weird. But now that it's turning spring is when you want all this fruity shit to come out. I see how it is. Well, no, I... I, I correlate spring and summer with fruity yeah and i correlate winter with stouts oh i see what you're saying they were off on their yeah their shit yeah like, they didn't really come through with stouts well now everybody now has a coming. fucking stout yeah now that it's becoming springtime it's like oh we forgot we had all these stouts drink them yeah. drink them all well and because we were talking last week, and I was like, well, we could get, like, a winter, like, something that's, like, a winter mm-hmm. ale. But the only thing that I saw that was winter ale was Sam Adams. And I'm like, mm. we're better than this. We, I'm sorry. We are so much better than this. <laughs> like, all tea, no shade. Like, Sam Adams is fine in oh, a no. pinch. Uh, it is the best of the worst, I would say. One of the best of the worst. Yeah. Yeah, we're beer snobs. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not even ashamed to say Honestly, it. Honestly, I would drink a Jenny Cream Ale. Over a Sam Adams. Well, everybody has their one hipster beer. Yeah. Everybody, like, whether it's their BLs or their Pabst, oh, everybody's oh. got something. Ours is Jenny Cream Ale. Yeah. And I think it's because it's a cream ale. Yeah, it, but it's good. It is good. I I'm, like it. I'm fine with... I, I will die on that hill. It yeah. is good. Yeah. Come come for us. <laughs> we will die on the Jenny, Jenny Cream Ale hill. I will die on any hill that is made out of Jenny Cream Ale. Ye old battle of Jenny, <laughs> Jenny Cream Ale. The Battle of Jenny. <laughs> like, oh, Papa, tell me about the time you fought at Jenny, Jenny Cremail Hill. <laughs> well, young whippersnapper son, it was a rough battle. We were all quite drunk. <laughs> I don't remember any of it, quite frankly. And the next day, none of us could get off the toilets. <laughs> <laughs> there was quite a shortage. It was, it was a bad day. It was a bad day. <laughs> wow. That was the roughest day of the battle. <laughs> Right, we've we have really derailed into a total beer podcast at this moment. And if you don't like beer and don't care about it, I apologize. Get out of here. Oh, I stay mean, the fuck out of Troy. Stay the fuck out of Troy. <laughs> You're probably not in yeah, Troy, right. so like, it's most fine. People are You're like, fine. I'm not even in Troy. Like, all right, that's fine. I won't come. And I'm like, oh, but Troy's nice. Come enjoy Troy. Anyway, <laughs> let me let me take the gears here and bring us onto this right track, which is the track to Tori Amosville. Alrighty, so Tori Amos is a true storyteller. Every song she writes has its own personality, and no two are the same. She's also an amazing feminist icon, unafraid to tell her truth and be brutally honest in her music. And quite frankly, she is a bit of a mystery in her own right. Her songs are a complete tell-all of her life, but they're wrapped up in metaphors to keep the listener guessing. Tori lets us know everything she wants us to know, which seems to be nearly her whole life story. And honestly, even even though like her prodigy status as a musician may seem a little intimidating, her life is pretty relatable to everyone. And that may be what makes her music so beautiful. It's just so completely relatable. This woman has taken all of her life experiences and processed them through her music. The songs touch upon every topic you can imagine, from religious to political to traumatic to whimsical. Tori Amos is one of the most genuine singer-songwriters that we've had the pleasure to be graced with. We are lucky to have Tori Amos. I stand by that. I would agree. On August 22nd, 1963, Myra Ellen 
Amos, was born, and it would be quite some time before she was known by her stage name. She was born into a strict Christian family, with her father Edison McKinley Amos as the minister of a Methodist church in Baltimore, Maryland. Many state that Tori could play music before she could talk. At the age of two, she began to play on the family piano, using phone books to boost herself up. And as she got a little older, her parents discovered she had a perfect ear. They would take her to musicals, and once she got back home, she just stood at the piano and just began to play out the entire score. What's that like? It's rare and amazing. I don't understand. Yeah. I am not that good at anything. (laughs) Nothing. Like, I have an okay ear. I can hear something and figure it out. It takes me a while, but I will figure it out. Nah, Tori could just go home, look at the keyboard, think of the scoring of boop, 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 boop. Here you go. Here's the song. (laughs) She's so beautiful. God damn it. It wasn't long after that that she was even composing her own music. Tori doesn't just hear music, though. She can actually see it in light and color, which likely means that she has chromesthesia, which is a perceptional phenomenon where one can hear music, musical notes and it invokes colors in them. Is that the same thing as like people who can taste colors? Yeah, kind of. It's, it's just when you have a sense and it kind of invokes this other sense in yeah. you. So you can correlate like a sound to a color. It's kind of funny because a lot of people that have that don't like having it. Right. It's, I will. <laughs> it's a huge interruption to their life and it can be debilitating. I feel like for tasting color, it'd be awful. Yeah. Well, like hearing color. It's like I just want to eat this fucking corned beef and have it taste like corned beef and why, not purple. Why am I? Why does this taste? Why does purple taste like corned beef to me? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think for musical purposes or probably even visual art purposes it's Mm -hmm. probably great yeah but i imagine anything with smell or flavors it's terrible yeah (laughs) there are very there are five senses and only two of these really work well (laughs) that's it her natural talent for music could not be denied by age five or six she would audition for the peabody conservatory of music and would be welcomed with open arms everyone hoped this would be tori's chance to really hone in on her skills because while she had an excellent ear, her ability to read sheet music was non-existent. Well, did anybody attempt to teach her? Yeah, she just has a really hard time reading. Like, she, even to this day. Yeah. She sucks at sight reading. Yeah. So, I mean, whatever. I would totally give up sight reading for, again, like, I'm just mediocre both things. I have a mediocre ear and I'm mediocre at sight reading. I would give up both of those in a second to be able to just sight read or not sight read well sight read or just have a tremendously amazing ear i mean most of the musicians i know and or have dated um don't know how to read music oh yeah a lot of people if you're especially if you're self-taught you just kind of yeah figure it out they're all self-taught so i really suck at reading sheet music for bass because i just hear it like bass and guitar i kind of suck at reading sheet music if you just show me what i'm supposed to do i'm a lot better at that like playing it out and mm-hmm. listening to it but like piano saxophone i guess the stuff that i was growing up and learned formally on yeah i can you learn the really right well. way yeah it's called <laughs> i learned the right way i took lessons and learned <laughs> well spoiler alert uh her sight reading would never get better in fact she would become notoriously bad with music theory in general but her hard work kept her on with the school for a time 
What would truly blacklist her from the conservatory was when she got a few years older and fell in love with uh, the arch nemesis of rock and roll. Damn that rock and roll. I mean, you know. Tori discovered bands like Led Zeppelin and the Beatles and started putting them in her repertoire, much to the chagrin of the heads of Peabody. She would argue that these artists are the Mozart and Chopin of our time, but they weren't buying it, though. And by 1974, enough was enough, and they kicked her out of the program. For liking rock music. Her parents say they just didn't give her her scholarship for the next year, and then Tori says, like, nah, they kicked me out because I liked rock music. So... But I bet they kicked her out because she liked rock music. Probably. They wanted her to be a classical pianist. And Tori, yeah. like always, wants to do her own thing. She, I mean, if you think about it, she does have this classical... The way she plays is a very classical way, but it, it takes on a, like a rock star form. Well, you can tell that she was classically trained yeah. when she was younger. She is a rock... She is the rock star of piano. Yeah. Like if you have you ever seen her live? Yes. Yeah. I mean, like she plays you, the two pianos at once. Oh my god, boner like, jams. Fuck, man. She's Show ridiculous. Off. <laughs> she's basically like air humping the piano. Like she said, she basically wanted to be like the Jimmy Page of piano. And I'm like, you did it, girl. You, girl, you did mission it. Mission accomplished. You did it. Like I think you surpassed Jimmy Page. Yeah. Because you never made anyone fuck a fish. <laughs> I don't know how true that is. We'll do an episode on that someday, I'm sure. Sounds extremely titillating. (laughs) Titillating. (laughs) Even though she was no longer involved in a prestigious program, Tori's determination didn't falter and neither did her parents' belief in her talents. Her father took it upon himself to make sure she was getting exposure and got her gigs wherever they would take her. This was mostly at gay bars and piano bars. Aw, cute. If you're wondering if her dad caught a lot of flack for bringing his daughter to perform at a gay bar, let me tell you, the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, he did. <laughs> but he believed in her and wanted to help her find success. <laughs> hey, Tori, I got you a gig. Yay! I'm going to take you to a gay bar! Gay bar! Gay bar! Wow! Oh, my God. <laughs> That's uh... the best thing ever. <laughs> That's not how he did it. That's just how he should have done yeah. it. Oh, my God. If only. Yeah. He just was like, <laughs> apparently the story. That is where Electric Six got their Oh, my God. They just based it off of Tori Amos' story. They, read this, they, they watched the Behind the Music. And then two. Like, <laughs> it's not even Behind the Music. It's Behind the Music 2, which oh, is yeah. mediocre at best. Oh, yeah. Well, nothing can be as good as the original. No. But the or original us. wasn't that great either. That's why we're here. Yeah, right? You're welcome. But yeah, like basically her dad, he in the Behind the Music 2, says how he just was like, look, Tori, if I can get you a gig, will you play? And she's like, uh, yeah, yeah, dad, I fucking will. Yeah. And he's like, all right. Well, good for him yeah. for being like, no, you know, you might not be in the Peabody school anymore, but you have a talent and you should keep going with it. So let me take you to the gay bar. <laughs> I mean, like credit where credit's due. Because, I mean, he's a minister. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this is the 70s. So shit's still not super on the up and up. Right. Religion was a big thing in Tori's childhood. Her father's side was obviously very devout. And her grandmother would tell her that her body is for her husband and her soul was for Jesus. And it was obvious that even as a child, Tori didn't agree because she responded with, well, what's left for me? Mm-hmm. I'm like... Yes, girl. 
Get yes. it. <laughs> Good for you. Fucking tell your grandmother. You deserve it. Right? She does, though. Tori talks about Jesus being the first crush she ever had. Seeing pictures I mean, of him and finding him cute. I mean, honestly, cute. like, artistic renderings of Jesus. He was ripped. He was pretty cute. And, I he mean, was pretty ripped on that cross. Sometimes a man in a diaper just really does it for a woman. I mean, she's like seven. Like, she's getting to her sexual awakening. And all she's surrounded by is fucking Jesus. <laughs> Jesus in a diaper. So, I mean, all right. You got to take what you I can mean, get. Again, Get what you can get, girl. He had long hair and a beard. That's like two of the three things that I like. Yeah. Yeah. I'm here for those things. Even though I'm dating a bald man, but. Right. Oh, well. He's got a beard. He's got a, he's got a prestigious beard. He does. And a tattoo. So. A big tattoo. Mm. So. Yeah. You know what? These are all things. Yeah. Tattoo was number three. Yeah. So. Nice hair. Nice beard. Two out of three ain't bad. And before I met him, he had long hair. So I'm going to say he has all three. Also, think about, like, Jesus with a sweet back piece. Right? He is the only person who's allowed to have God tattoos. His own face tattooed on his (laughs) mouth. His mother tattooed. It's like a fucking Virgin Mary tattoo on a banner that says mom. Mom, And it is his mom. (laughs) Bathtub Mary. Back piece. (laughs) Mom. Bathtub Mary. (laughs) That's what they are, the ones in the lawns. It's like have a bathtub. Yeah. A bathtub Mary. This will keep her out of the rain. <laughs> Don't let it rain on Bathtub Mary, all right? This needs keep to be dry. a song about Bathtub, the legend of Bathtub Mary. All right, we'll add it to the list. Well, yeah, all right. I don't even remember fucking what I was talking about. Yes. So, Jesus. Tori loved Jesus. She kind of equated him to, like, the Christian version of Jimi Hendrix. Like, people just fawned over him and loved him and He was a rock him. star. He was a fucking rock star. Yeah. She actually saw him as a feminist, too, because of the way he treated Mar- Mary Magdalene, who would become a huge muse for her music. Mm-hmm. Um, I read a good chunk of Tori Amos' Piece by Piece, which was written by both Tori and Ann Powers. And she has a whole section on Mary Magdalene. And she talks a lot about how... In religion, they've really stripped down Mother Mary to basically just be, like, wisdom only and no sexuality. And then they've stripped down Mary Magdalene to be sexuality only and no Mm -hmm. wisdom. And she really spends a lot of her time saying, no, they're both. You don't have to discount them just because they're women. Like, they raise them up. They can be complex beings. Yeah. They are that. They don't have to be just sex or just brains. Right. They can have both. Yeah. Who would have thunk it? Not Christian dudes. <laughs> yes. That's that's pretty much correct. And it's um Tori isn't she basically says she's a recovering Christian, and this is something about her that I super relate to because she was raised in such a Christian household and kind of had to break free from it. And so much of religion especially christianity is about repressing the woman and saying that you aren't allowed to be sexual and you're just made for babies and jesus you're here to serve the men honestly yeah and so she had a lot of times in her life where she had to kind of discover that part of herself and discover herself as an individual woman and break kind of those expectations that Christianity puts on you. And I relate to that a lot. And I never really realized it till reading 
the book piece by piece. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, I know these feels. And then you kind of discover this extra layer in her music, too. Yeah. Which is, it's pretty rad. Throughout high school, she was not only doing solo performances, but also competing in talent shows and writing songs for competitions. The city of Baltimore held a contest for someone to write a song for their major league baseball team, the Orioles. Tori wrote a song with her brother called Baltimore, and it was picked as the winner. They pressed 500 copies of this single on a 7-inch record, and she even wrote a B-side called Walking With You. Up until around the age of 17, most people were calling her by her middle name, Ellen. But for a few years, she really felt that she needed a new name as a performer. For a time, she toyed with the name Sammy J. But before that stuck, she met a friend's boyfriend who took one look at her and said, Nah, you're a Tory. I doubt that he huh. intended her to go with the I at the end, but she decided to do that to keep it uniquely hers. Every time I hear the name Tori, first I think of Tori Amos, but then right. I think of the Tori from Saved by the Bell. Oh, that's right. Do you remember her? I mean, not really. Because we're not supposed to remember her. Well, she was like the badass girl mm-hmm. who wore a leather jacket that was She was pretty... like kind of Kelly's replacement for a while, wasn't she? Yeah, and like... She was a tomboy, but yeah. because she was pretty, Zach still liked her. Yeah. Because she was pretty and she was thin. Yeah. And Zach... You can be a tomboy as long as you're still pretty and thin. Yep. So Don't you worry. But her real name was Victoria. Oh. they called her, instead of Vicky, they called her Tori. So did you think Tori Amos's real name was Victoria? No, I always knew her... I always knew Tori was not her real name. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I learned it a few years ago, but yeah, I was like, oh, Tori's not her real name. I mean, I thought maybe she just changed. It doesn't matter what I thought. After graduating high school, she stuck around Baltimore, D.C. area for a few years where she continued to perform and write music. She sent out demos all over, but no one was interested because they said the girl on piano thing was over. I'm sorry, when did it start? Well, I mean, like I guess Carol you could, King. Carol King. Okay. Um, Carly Simon. Carly Simon. All right, fine, but no. Carpenters. Karen Carpenter. Karen, Karen Carpenter played the piano, I think, didn't she? I think she played a, a multitude of in- instruments. Linda Ronstadt, probably. Maybe. I don't know. Joni she... Mitchell played the guitar, but I feel like she played the piano too. I'm sure she did. Carol King. Yeah, Carol King. Anyway, so it came and went with Carol King. <laughs> After that, nobody else gets to do it. After enough time had passed, Tori was fed up and decided she needed to try a new approach and do this on her own. She packed up and moved to L.A. where she started playing around the bar scene right away. That's an interesting place to go. I would have thought she would have gone to New York. Yeah, because New York's a little closer, but I guess, I don't know, it's the early 90s. No, I'm sorry, it's the 80s at this point. So I could see you looking at L.A. as like, maybe she, I think she just wanted a total change. Yeah. And New York might have been just too close. Yeah. Too similar. Yeah. Well, it wasn't great because there were a lot. Because it's L.A. Because it's L.A. First <laughs> I'm of all, sorry, <laughs> sorry, our LA. L.A. friends. You guys are great, and L.A. is fine, but it's fine for a purpose. Yeah, I'm never there for that purpose. Yeah, we're we're not L.A. people. Mm-mm. Like you could look at us and be like, you're not L.A. people. Mm-mm. But yeah, it wasn't great. It was L.A. and there's lots of drunks vomiting on her piano and asking her to play the old classics and standards for quarters. Piano man, probably. Would she be Fuck piano woman, though? Um, She would be a piano woman. I hope she did 
sing it that way just to piss people sing off. Sing us a song. You're the piano woman. <laughs> I don't think it flows very it well. It doesn't, but they're drunk. They don't care. Yeah. Well, it was during these LA years that Tori experienced one of the most horrific things anyone can imagine. One night after a show, she agreed to give one of the regulars at the bar a ride home. On the way, he demanded she pull over somewhere secluded where he sexually assaulted her at gunpoint. She never went to the police, nor did she really talk to anyone about it for years. She didn't feel that it was something she was able to protest. And once in an interview, she stated, quote, Come on, I was a nightclub singer. I dress sexy. Look, let's no. not kid each other. My case was closed before I began. Yeah. Like, she just felt like if she went to the police or told... They would... That's you know, exactly she told what they the would bar, say. You know, they'd be like, well, yeah, I mean, look at the way you dress Oh, the look bar at won't you. give two fucking shit. he's a regular, they won't give a fuck. No, they will uh, be on the side of the regular 100%. Yeah. They would say, you dress sexy. Yep. You're is- singing for money. What do you expect? Yeah, this is the early to mid 80s. Yeah. She, you gave the guy a ride home. Yeah. What do you think he expected from you? I, I didn't expect to be raped at gunpoint, but yeah. here we are. Yeah. Like she probably thought, oh, he's a regular at the bar. I know him. I can do him a favor and drive him home. I mean, they do say a majority of rapes happen from someone you know. Yeah. So it's, it fucking it sucks. Well, it's the same kind of situation that Cindy Lauper was in when we mm-hmm. were talking last week. Yeah. She was sexually assaulted by her own fucking bandmates and his fucking girlfriend and his girlfriend. And what are you going to do? Right. What Again, can it's you the do? Early to mid eighties. What are you going to do? And this is your People are like you're a performer. You dress sexy. You yeah. do this. You do that. You have every. Apparently, this man has every right to fucking abuse your body. Right. And do whatever the fuck he wants because he can get away with it. By the way, he does it. Yeah. He fucking does it. (laughs) Anyway, needless to say, Tori's first few years in L.A. did not come easy. But by the mid-80s, things began to look up. She started a band called Why Can't Tori Read, which was spelled Y-K-A-N-T, Tori with the I, and then Read was normal. With musicians Steve Catton and Matt Sorum, whose name might sound familiar because mm. he would later join the band Guns N' Roses. Indeed. Yes. Mm. <laughs> the band name was a joke on the fact that Tori was so bad at sight reading. She signed with Atlantic Records for a six-record deal, and in 1988, they released their debut self-titled album. I thought it was because she was dyslexic. She's not actually dyslexic. She just she just sight reading. Huh. Yeah. Behind the music was wrong. I think they meant to say she was just bad at sight reading and they said it bad. They just, they definitely said she was dyslexic. Yeah, she's not. <laughs> if you know Tori Amos's music, this album isn't that. Have you ever heard their album, Why Can't Tori Read? I didn't listen to the whole album, but I definitely remember the music video. Oh, it is 80s cheese Her for days. Her hair is so big. So big. is the biggest hair. It like You've never seen the hair this her, big. She moves her head and the hair moves in waves. Oh, it's actually kind of beautiful. Yeah. It's pretty standard 80s synth pop. Little substance, lots of noise. Isn't she like dancing with a cane yes. in a satin shirt? And she's doing like yeah. a shimmy thing. It's like, ooh, you're trying to heart that shit. Real hard. Yeah. Look, it's not awful. It's just not up to her high standards. And pretty much no piano playing from the woman herself. 
which is like her fucking bread and butter right there. Yeah. After years of rejection and garbage situations, Tori was just over it and decided if you can't beat him, join him. So she tried to sell her soul to get what she wanted. I can't really blame her for that. Yeah. Sometimes you're like, all right, you know what? Fuck it. I'll play the game. Oh, and sometimes the game doesn't work out for you. Wasn't the best idea because the album tanked. Critics were not moved by it and called Tori a bimbo. She was overall unhappy with the project, too, and said the best thing from it was a sweet pair of black boots she got for, like, the photo shoot and the video and stuff. Those were some nice boots. They were some nice boots. But, you know, I kind of like the album. <laughs> like, because it's Tori's beautiful voice in 80s synth pop. And, and that's these are kind of amazing. These are kind of things I love. Like, and, and critics even now have come around and been like, look, it's... 80s cheese, but it's not criminal. But that kind of makes me really want her to do like a full on like 80s inspired album now. She probably won't. She won't. I don't think she will. But I want her but to. I think she would do a good job with it. <laughs> yeah. If she chose to do so. Yeah. Well, feeling rejected, she spent a few years doing small projects and backup vocals for other singers. She wrote the song Distant Storm for a film called China O'Brien, which looks like it isn't even at B-movie status. I I watched what you posted. Oh, my God. uh, I really want to watch it. It looks fucking abysmal, like hilariously abysmal. It looks like... I didn't think it was a real movie. It looks like somebody now in 2019 made a, like, not a ripoff. It's just like a mock, a mock trailer for a 90s, 80s, 90s movie. Yeah, and purposely made it really bad. Yes, and it's, no, that's a real movie. Why? Yeah. But also, want to watch it? Yeah, no, seriously, (laughs) we need to have a fucking night where we watch that, because that looks awesomely bad. It looks fantastically (laughs) terrible. Yeah, oh god, I mean, look up the trailer for China O'Brien, guys. It's It's spelled C-H-Y-N-A? No, no, it's just China, like the country. O'Brien, like the Irish last name. I have questions. Hopefully the movie doesn't answer them. Who are your parents? (laughs) That needs to remain a mystery. Yeah, I don't want any answers for that. Tori didn't really want to be credited for the song, so she actually created a band name called Tess Makes Good, even though it was just her, (laughs) since she did not want to be associated. Yes, why can't Tori read Tanked? But Atlantic still wanted Tori to comply with her record deal, so she had a small window of time, an even smaller amount of funds, to make another record. She got together again with Steve Caton and a handful of other musicians, as well as the producer and for a little while boyfriend, Eric Ross, to create her first solo album, The Masterpiece, Little Earthquakes, Mm -hmm. released in the U.S. on February 25th, 1992. And this album is a total Pisces album. (laughs) Like, I'm saying that as a Pisces, but like this is I, I feel this album on an emotional level. It immediately grabbed the attention of listeners with the single Silent All These Years, or as I want to rename it, Silent All These Beers. (laughs) Most any woman that has heard this song can say it is spoken to them on some level, maybe unrequited love or to empower themselves. I remember at 11 hearing this song for the first time, and I was in love with this boy who didn't even know I existed. And I was like, oh, I just want you to love me. Like, and that song (laughs) spoke to me for that reason. But on the most basic level, Tori says that it's about reclaiming your voice after being lost for so long. So now as an adult, I'm like, oh, I still feel this song. Yeah. (laughs) It grows with you. It does. 
There was also inspiration from the Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale, The Little Mermaid, because hmm, you find your voice and she loses her voice. So, you know. Yeah. What's interesting is that Silent All These Years is, was actually the B-side to the song Me and a Gun. Hmm. Which is a raw and haunting acapella account of her rape from years before. She finally decided she was going to speak out about it. And not just as a track on the album, but she would use that to close out every show for years. Little Earthquakes was not just a hit with the critics, with many even today putting it in their top 100 albums of all time, but people around the world felt like for the first time, someone else understood them. I mean, especially women. She was speaking to them on such a deep level. This album was a culmination of Tori's life, the religion, the feminism, the soul-searching. There is something for everyone to relate to on this album. I can sing this album front to back. Mm -hmm. I remember finding it, like, again, sorry, Brigitte, stole your album. <laughs> and I still have it. And I still listen to it a lot. Mm -hmm. And I'm still like, no, this is still one of my top five albums, easily. At the suggestion of a record executive, she moved to London to expand her reach to audiences that might get her music a little better than Americans. Yeah, we love Tori here, but in the early 90s, we were all about grunge and alternative we weren't really ready to appreciate what she brought to the table. I feel like we say that so much. <laughs> yeah, we really don't. But you know, it was the 90s and it was grunge time, so... No, it's grunge time. <laughs> what time is it? It's grunge time. time. <laughs> oh my god. MTV should have had a commercial like, what time is it? It's grunge, grunge time. time. <laughs> in 1993, Tori and Eric went to New Mexico in order to write and record her next album, Under the Pink, which is your album. Mm-hmm. By the end of its creation, it also spelled the end of their relationship. Tori's friends said it was kind of reminiscent of a first big breakup, like when you stopped dating your high school sweetheart. After this, she went through a bit of a fuckboy phase, which really made her take a hard look at the concept of masculinity, which is going to play a big theme on her next album. Mm -hmm. But as far as her career was concerned, Under the Pink was a complete success for Tori, with singles like Cornflake Girl reaching high positions in the charts all around the world. This is probably one of her most well-known songs, dealing with the issues of females betraying other females. She grew up with the term Cornflake Girls and Raisin Girls because the latter was much harder to find. The former was a name given to girls who would hurt you despite being their friend. Oh. So, like, if you're a cornflake girl... Oh, that so makes so much sense. You're basically it's a like frenemy. like raisin bran. It is! That's exactly what it yeah. is! Because, like, you don't have as many raisins as you do like, cornflakes yeah, in a bowl like, of raisin brands. That's what she said. I knew, like, I got the, like, the impression. Apparently, they also released a limited edition cornflake boxes with Tori Amos on them. It is a collector's item. If you have that, please shout us out and she send us a picture. Is, I would like to see this. She is somebody that I never would have expected to be on a box of cereal. That's weird. Yeah, but apparently limited release. That's cornflakes. I I Tori feel Amos like she had a real good laugh about that. Yeah, I think she was like, you know what? All <laughs> right, this is fun. I'll take yeah. the piss with this one. But yeah, oh, I totally um, get it now. Like, yeah. I got it a little bit. Like, oh, no, I didn't. Like, <laughs> I mean, I guess I was like, looked at like Cornflake Girl was like the popular girl or whatever. Or like the well-liked girl, maybe. And like, I thought yeah. the Raisin Girls might have been like the bad girls. But now I see it's like your Cornflake Girl is like your friend of me, basic bitch friend who you you let her in a little, but you don't let her in all the way. You yeah. find a Raisin Girl. Yo, you keep that Raisin Girl around. Yeah. Because she ain't going to fuck with you. Yeah. I 
feel like we're raising girls. We're ra- oh, I'd like to think we're raising girls. Yeah. Yeah. While the album charted high in the U.S. at number 12, her popularity in the U.K. landed it at number one. Wow. Yeah, she's very popular in the U.K. So, of course, a world tour was a sensible next step. One night on this tour, a girl fainted during the set and was brought backstage to relax and get some air. So, Tori went back there to talk to her and discovered that this girl was likely underage at the show by herself. She begged Tori to let her go on tour with her. She'd do any work they needed. Because she was afraid if she went back home, her father was her stepfather was just going to rape her again. Because her stepfather had been raping Jesus. her. Jesus. Yep. And she wanted it to stop. But unfortunately, even though Tori wanted to rescue her, it would be super illegal and considered kidnapping because yeah. she was underage. Right. So she had to let the girl go back home. But this was like a real fucking wake-up call for Tori. Not that she needed it, but... It was the experience that Tori decided she needed to do something to help people in these hopeless situations. She wanted to give victims a place where they could go to, so she con- she connected with Scott Berkowitz, one of the co-founders of the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, also known as RAIN, Rain. to become their first spokesperson. Upon its inception, she answered the first phone call. And Rain is still very close to Tori's heart, and she is still quite active with it today. I remember her doing the commercials for mm-hmm. it. Same, yeah. She is still very active in that group and mm-hmm. pushes it and supports them in any way she can. So Tori took some time to find herself afterwards. And what better place to find yourself than Hawaii? Sure. I mean, if I could fucking go to Hawaii right now, you know I'd be there. <laughs> Here she learned about the volcano goddess Pele and sought out on a spiritual journey to find her own fire. She took some time with a South American shaman and did some psychedelic drugs along the way. Sure. Eh, Yeah, she do. People say doing acid can also be a way to, like, look within your inner self. You don't have to use it to, like, do acid and watch YouTube videos. You can do acid and, like, go in the woods and go on a spirit journey. Isn't that what they use peyote for? Yeah, pretty much. So, I mean, that's basically what she did, mm-hmm. which, like, good for her. I mean, she went through this huge breakup. She has this big album come out. She's dealing with all these, like, her emotions and trying to help others deal with their emotions. And you know what? Yeah. Maybe I drop some fucking acid, too, and be like, all right, I need to figure out my shit right now. It's kind of funny that that is, like, her work. <laughs> it's like, this is how I'm going to get inspiration to do my work. I'm going to go do a lot of psychedelic drugs. You know... I'm not going to lie. I've considered it. I'm like, what happens if I just drop a ton of ass in the woods? What, what, what if I did some shrooms? Just like hang out in the woods for like a couple hours. Am I going to come out and find something new or do I just take a weird nap? You're just going to be lost in the Adirondacks and nobody's oh going to find you. Well, that's why you get a babysitter. She had a babysitter. It was a shaman. This is fucking tether you to somebody with like one of those ch- those bouncy Children strings. Harnesses? Yes. Harness. Honestly, yes. Connected to a shaman. I, you know what? I'm fine with this. I'm not even against this. Still here for it. When she was ready to record her next album, she did so in an old church in County Wicklow, Ireland. Seeing as how Tori was now split from Eric, she decided to produce the whole album herself and has done so on every album ever since. Damn, girl. Because she a fucking boss. Bitches getting it done. Bitches get you done. The result is Boys for Pele, an album strong in its feminist themes, looking for self-empowerment in a male-dominant world. Even the cover of the album is a reference to her song, Me and a Gun, except this is her way of taking the power back and letting go of her anger. 
because if you know the, the cover, she's just hanging out on a front porch, kind of like an old school rocking oh, yeah, chair one. with the gun. And mm-hmm. yeah, and she's looking around. She's like, I'll fucking shoot your face off. <laughs> Do Go it. Go for her. She should. I'm all for it. While the album did chart well, peaking at number two on Billboard, critics were polarized due to its lyrical content. Many found that her personal lyrics made it impenetrable for some listeners. But Tori would no longer try to make music just for commercial success. She wanted to sing about her genuine experiences, and these all made up the vision that she saw with Boys for Pele. Tori had done a lot of soul-searching and was finally reaching a point of being secure and confident as a woman. And like, girl, give me some tips on that shit. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm on a fucking soul search, and I would love to have Tori must be my fucking shaman. Yo, yeah. I would totally do some peyote with fucking Tori Amos in Hawaii. That is the only way I would do peyote is with Tori Amos in right. Hawaii. Well, we've we've made out the call. Let's see if there's ever an answer. <laughs> and the timing worked out well with her starting a relationship with sound engineer Mark Hawley. Hawley? Hawley. Hawley. How do you spell it? H-A-W-L-E-Y. Hawley. Hawley? Holy. I just feel like I'm saying it with a weird Brooklyn accent. <laughs> the two married in 1998 and have been together ever since. So clearly, like, all that shit was good for her. It's a good 20, 21 years. Yeah, right? After Boys for Pele came out, Tori really wanted to take some time off from writing to enjoy this new partnership and also motherhood as she was pregnant with a little girl. However, this pregnancy would not reach full term as she miscarried three months in. And of course, the immense feelings of grief and loss came over her, and they would find places for themselves mm-hmm. on her next album. Do remember this. From the Choir Girl Hotel. It came out in May 1998 to overall positive reviews, and it seemed to be a return to form for Tori, and is her best-selling debut to date, reaching 153,000 copies in the first week. And I will say, yeah... Um, I would say under... I do like Boys for Pele, but it is kind of a half and half for me. But yeah. Choir Girl Hotel, I'm like, no, nah, I can listen to that whole thing. That's my solid number two. Me too. I don't know. Yeah, I'd have to go back. Oh, I've been listening to them a bunch, but I mean, Little Earthquakes is always going to be my number one, but yeah, it might be my number two and then Under the Pink. But yeah, I mean, this is a solid fucking album. Yes. She really had a focus with it, which was good. And of course, the songs run the gamut of her life experiences, like they all do. Mm -hmm. And another single, Jackie's Strength, it's about getting married, something she never thought she would do. And that was just her way of dealing with those emotions. It also does reference the Kennedy assassination and the strength that Jackie O must have had to get not only herself, but an entire nation through her fucking husband getting shot in the head right next to her. Yeah. That's some fucking strength. I never really thought about it until I was re- really researching it, but I'm like, yeah, I mean, if you Jesus really Christ. think about it, like, here's this woman whose husband just got shot and killed right next to her. Right next to her. And it's now her job to comfort an entire nation. Meanwhile. Meanwhile, she's fucking losing it on the inside. And can so, you imagine as a normal human being, someone I'm with getting shot in the head next to me? Yeah. So, yeah. Lisa I guess the- I guess you can if you look at it, look at that event in that way, you can get a lot of strength from Jackie. Yeah. Look like I'm not religious, 
But I think Jackie O should be made a fucking saint. Just for that, having to deal with that. So, throwing that out there. <laughs> a little over a year later, Tori released To Venus and Back, a double album with one disc of original songs and a second being recordings from a live concert. The original songs actually started out as B-sides and slowly turned into almost experimental with a subdued kind of piano sound, but real heavy on the electronica. Not my favorite. I don't love yeah. To Venus and Back. It's fine. But it's not anything that I need to listen to a lot. Mm -hmm. It was respected as a fairly innovative concept, though. It was nominated for two Grammys, but yeah, most people prefer her trademark simplistic sound. In 2000, Tori's dream of motherhood finally became a reality when she gave birth to her daughter. I think it's Natasha, but it's spelled weird, so I'm like, is it Natasha? Her nickname is Tash, mm -hmm. so I'll, I'll go with that. And it was around this time that she knew it was time to break off from her label, Atlantic Records, who she felt were not really doing their due diligence to properly promote her music. And they probably weren't, because I they think really if weren't. we've learned anything at this point in the podcast, they weren't doing their jobs. Well, what year was this? 2000. Oh, new metal. It's all in Biscuit's fault. <laughs> I'm going to blame it all on the Nookie. <laughs> but she didn't want to give them any more of her original work. So, the solution came with the album Strange Little Girls, a concept album consisting of only cover songs by men that she reworked to be from the female perspective. And some of the covers include The Beatles' Happiness is a Warm Gun, which turned into a discussion on the right to bear arms, hmm. which has a lot of clips about like how the Second Amendment works and how people feel just to have it, I'm and then talking about the assassination of John Lennon with a gun. I'm surprised that... All the people, like, allowed her to use their work and and do that. Uh, Michael Jackson, I think, at this point still had uh, the rights to the Beatles music and probably did not give a fuck. True. Too busy touching little boys. Let's not get into that. I'm just saying. <laughs> Another cover is a rendition of Eminem's 97 Bonnie and Clyde. Huh. Which, do you know that one? No. It's basically about how he murders his wife. Oh, it's that one. And he has the, okay. his daughter in the back seat. And it's like, oh, ma, or oh, honey, it's okay. Just mommy's going for a swim and blah, blah, blah. But you know what? It's much more haunting because she whispers the lyrics instead of raps them. <laughs> it's really fucking unsettling. I mean, it's unsettling. Anyway, I remember hearing this fucking CD and hearing this song and I'm like, I think I was 14, maybe 15 at the time. I mean, like, I feel upset and I don't think I can sleep for a few <laughs> nights. And then I heard Tori's version. I'm like, I can't sleep tonight. God yeah. damn it. And she also covers Slayer's Raining Blood, which is just kind of fun. Nice. Good for you, Toy. I feel like Slayer would totally give the, her permission to sing their song. I would hope so. Like, they seem like a real chill bunch of dudes. I'm like, yeah, fucking Tori must can do whatever she wants. Yeah. <laughs> God, I hope so. Now free from Atlantic, Tori moved to Epic Records in 2001, and the following year she released Scarlet's Walk, a concept album about her alter ego, Scarlet, and her experiences as she travels across the country. Themes deal with Native American history, misogyny, homophobia, and life in a post-9-11 country. Yeah. At and this point in her career, Tori is starting to deal a lot more with, like, kind of, like, alter egos and she's also starting to dive a lot more into politics. Mm -hmm. Because I think she's finally felt that she's dealt with her own shit and now she's trying to just expound into new categories. Mm -hmm. 
She may not look it, but Tori has a rich Native American background from her maternal grandparents' families. Her grandfather specifically taught her many lessons as a young child that offered her a more nature-based spiritualism to counter the Christian values her family's, or her father's family, tried to instill in her. As her albums have progressed, these concepts have been playing more of a part in her music. Um, she now kind of says she practices more of like a pantheistic Native American spiritualistic view of the world. And it's definitely in part to her grandparents' influence. Not long after the release of Scarlet's Walk, Epic Records president Polly Anthony stepped down from her position. This upset Tori, as Polly was a big reason she signed with the label. And things only went downhill from there as we continued into the aughts and record sales began to decline with the rise in file sharing programs. Mm -hmm. Execs put on more pressure for artists to make commercially successful music, which, as you should guess by now, isn't really Tori's M.O. This would only sour her more on the recording industry, and as time goes on, she tries to have as little interaction with them as possible and do as much as she can by herself. She built her own studio, she produces her own shit... She really just, like, basically goes through them to release her records. Which is kind of ridiculous because, I mean, it's not like she only appeals to one small group of of people. Right. She clearly sells enough that yeah. she, she can have her own studio. She can produce her own stuff. You know... She's not not making any money for them. Right. And I, I think I think also, too, it helps that she's really smart with her money. I don't think she she does not seem to spend extravagantly. Yeah. I think she has like three homes, one in America, one in Ireland, um, one somewhere else that I can't remember. Well, Tori soldiered on with Epic and gave them two more albums, the first being The Beekeeper in 2005, another concept album about the ancient art of beekeeping and how it relates to female empowerment. She's getting real fucking deep with this. Yeah. The Beekeeper's okay. I don't love it. It's okay. And all the while through this, she's weaving in tales from the Gnostic gospel. So, that's... She's getting That's real. A lot. She's getting real conceptual. It's it's, it's okay. And you know, it's nice background music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but her other album is American Doll Posse, released in two thousand seven. Yet another concept album where she takes on the form of five different girls and sings songs from all of their perspectives. And both albums are generally well liked. But I get the feeling that at this point, critics will always be split on Tori's music because it's just so out there and it's conceptual. But I'm going to say, you know what? I was wrong. American Doll Posse is personally one of my favorites, and this is my number two album. Hmm. I love this album. I got it when I came back from Ireland, actually. And I was going through a rough time when I came home from Ireland because I didn't really want to leave. So this and actually the Foo Fighters Echo, Silence, Patience, and Grace always reminds me of when I just came home. Because I listen to those two albums like back to back constantly. Because there's just something really therapeutic about them. Mm-hmm. But I really love American Doll Posse. It's got a lot to it. It's it's really sassy and funky. Mm-hmm. And it's a little out there for Tori. But I think it, she did it in a way that really worked for her. Probably because she was doing like five different personalities. and But she made it work. Like There's some really fucking awesome songs on it. So I highly suggest that one. Maybe doing the different personalities made it a little more fresh. Yeah, it fe- that's it felt fresh. Like it didn't feel like a Tori Amos album, but not in a bad way. It felt like 
I try to say to let all artists like, you know, do what you got to do, experiment, try new things. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. I'm pretty forgiving. Mm -hmm. For this album, I think the concept worked. Yeah. And it didn't sound like a Tori album, but it still kind of did. I feel like about eight times out of ten, the concept album doesn't work. Mm, Agreed. It's and it ends up being a flop. Yep. And then there's those two instances out of ten where it works and it works really well. Right. So those other eight times they're like, we're just really trying to get that. And you're like, I know, but you suck. Yeah, but you <laughs> didn't do it right. <laughs> Not great. You needed that get a grip friend to help guide you in the right direction. Yeah. Ugh. Before leaving Epic in 2008, she did release a few retrospectives, reworks, and some live albums. But finally, in May 2008, she signed with Universal Republic Records, where she released two albums, Abnormally Attracted to Sin, and her first seasonal album, Midwinter Graces. Both were released in 2009. And I'm going to throw it out there. Midwinter Graces is one of the few, I guess, like, you could say Christmas, holiday season, whatever albums. I love it. It's actually a fucking great album. If anybody can do a fucking holiday album, it's Tori Amos, because it doesn't feel like a Christmas album. But it still feels like something you can put on in December when it's snowing and you're like, this feels comforting to me. Something that makes sense with the U-Log on TV. Yeah. Or like a nice thing to have on when like you have like a really low, like it's a good Christmas Eve album. It mm-hmm. is a perfect Christmas Eve album. I like tossing it on. And it even works for like New Year's Eve when if you're like having like a nice little cocktail party in your home. That's so good. you know what? Next Christmas, get your asses on Midwinter Graces. It's good. I'm throwing it out there. I stand by it. Is it it. originals or traditionals? So she reworks a lot of traditionals. Mm -hmm. Like, it says traditionals and originals, but even her traditionals. Like, she did the first Noel, but she did it in a Tori Amos way, and it's one of my favorite fucking tracks, because I fucking hate the first Noel, because my (laughs) maiden name is Noel. Mm -hmm. Can I tell you how often I fucking heard that song? So, but the way she sings it, I'm like, but it's so pretty. It's so beautiful, like everything Tori Amos does. God damn it. God damn it. But still, not even this partnership would last, and by 2012, Tori had left Universal Republic and signed with Universal Music, whom she is with currently. However, she also started her own label called Transmission Galactic, where she can develop new artists with the without the usual label bullshit. Mm-hmm. One of her first releases with Universal Music, was Night Hunters, which is her first classical-style album that pays tribute to composers such as Bach, Chopin, Schubert, and the like. It also features her daughter on some of the tracks, so it's kind of nice to see they're keeping music running with the family. And how old is her daughter now? Actually, at this point, she would have been like 12, like 12, 13. Now? Oh, now she's probably like... Shit, her daughter's probably like 18 now. Jesus. Right? Because she had her daughter in like 2000. 2000, 2001, something like that. She's going to college. Right? Or she probably isn't. Like, she's got Tori as a mom. Tori's keeping her daughter in check. Like, don't fucking go to college. Do your own shit. I think college is a fucking bullshit right now. At least she's not Aunt Becky. (laughs) Truth. (laughs) And buying her child's way into college. Who doesn't even want to be? college yeah that year tori continued her orchestral work with the album gold dust where she reworked some of her older songs with the metropole orchestra and i listened through this it's not 
anything dramatic. I was really excited. It's like, oh, she did some of her old songs with an orchestra, but it wasn't. It's nothing special. I mean, it's fine. It's pretty. It's cleaned up. Mm -hmm. But I would not at all say that it's. I mean, it's fine. I when you tell me you're working with an orchestra, I expect like beautiful orchestrated versions of your songs. Right. And it's not that. Like Ben Folds did it, Metallica did it. That's like so I severely that. underutilizing yeah, the I orchestra. Felt, I felt like the orchestra was really underutilized for this. Yeah. But I mean, whatever. It still sounded as pretty as it did before, so I guess. You got that going for you. In 2013. Tori continued to class it up when she worked on a musical adaptation of the fairy tale The Light Princess with Samuel Adamson and Marianne Elliott. So there you go. More girls working on musicals. Hmm. Hustling that musical money. Mm-hmm. I think it's really big in the UK. Not, I think it's okay like over here, but I think it did really well across the pond. In the past five years, Tori has released two studio albums, Unrepentant Geraldines and Native Invader, Both are highly praised as her going back to her core identity with her charismatic storytelling. She still touches upon important social and political issues and not at the expense of her music's quality. And I'm going to tell you right now, get on Native Native Invader. Really good. Her most recent album. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Reindeer King is a gorgeous song. It's like seven minutes, but I don't give a fuck. It's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. So if you kind of want like... Some new, newer Tory that's kind of really bringing you back to the good good shit. I, Native Invader's great. And Unrepentant Geraldine's is good as well. But I just, I really, for some reason, I really like Native Invader. Overall, Tori is a definitive success and has some pretty high cult status when it comes to pop culture. Bob's Burgers once did a reference to her in an episode. <laughs> the food truck the episode. The food truck episode with a woman named Tabitha Johansson. And, <laughs> and she, she played the, the song, two pianos. And she and did the song, Oil Spill. And Bob looks at fucking Jean and he's like, is this about, and she's like, it's about her vagina. <laughs> And it is, though. Oh, it's so good. And, like, I remember seeing them, like, that's Tori Amos. Yes. I didn't even need the oh. internet to tell me. I was it like, wasn't even, that's, like, a that's, slight reference. It was a complete impression obvious, of obvious Tori impression Amos. of Tori Amos. But it was so good. Yeah. I'm sure she had a laugh at that. <laughs> um, there's the show on Netflix, Everything Sucks, which is really a mess show, and I didn't really care for it. I actually sat through the whole fucking thing. It's a what thing. show? It's meh. Oh, meh. Meh, at best. Resounding it's a meh. meh. Show. Resounding <laughs> meh. Uh, I really wanted to like it, so I watched the entire thing, and by the end, I was like, this show was not. Everything sucks, including this show. <laughs> <laughs> Making jokes, but seriously, it wasn't great. But it's a show about like teens in the early 90s, but one of the main characters was absolutely in love with Tori Amos' music and keep referencing it, and they played a bunch of her songs. Although apparently, by the time it was filmed in... I was reading a review about the whole show, and they're like, by the time the show was taking place in, like, 95, 96, Under the Pink was out, but she didn't reference any of the songs from Under the Pink. She only referenced songs from Little Earthquakes. What are you doing? And I was like, that's fair. Under the Pink's a good album. Anyway, but yeah. And I mean, also, I'd be remiss to not talk about her close friendship with the fantastic author Neil Gaiman. Yes, I was waiting for you to... Yeah. I, I, I mean, I didn't know where to throw it, so I'm like, at the end, I'll toss in this. He says his character Delirium from the Sandman series, which, if you have not read Sandman, what are you doing? Yeah, I'm going to have to borrow all those books from you. You because should. Because I've read 
like bits and pieces and I have not read the whole thing. But I have the books on death. And I didn't read those and I'm reading them right now. You haven't read (laughs) that you bought. I am. I am. I am reading those now. But death is I mean, I like death, but, you know, I think she's overdone. Dream and delirium are my favorites. Yeah. So but that's beside the point. Anyway, delirium is based on Tori. And uh, meanwhile, she has referenced both him and Sandman in her music. And he's also the godfather to Tash. Oh, yeah. They're really good friends. She did um, like the intro for uh, Death, The Cost of Living Mm -hmm. and talked about how like, yeah, I know Delirium is based on me, but I kind of relate more to Death. And then he did the intro to she has a book out called Comic Book Tattoo. It's not really her book, but basically people took her songs and illustrated them in comic book form as short stories and it's fucking awesome if you can get your hands on it i got it for real cheap at a comic book or at a comic-con uh it's great you should totally get your hands on it if you can but he did the intro for it and he said he heard of her because some weirdo friend of hers met him at like a book signing and said like here's my friend's demo she references you in a song don't sue her (laughs) and he like fell in love with the song i don't think he would have sued her anyway never Neil Gaiman would probably be like, oh, that's lovely. Isn't that nice? <laughs> so, but he ended up like touching base with her because he loved her music. Yeah. And that's how they started their friendship. He's a real cool guy. He's a real cool guy. Yeah. He's cool I'd be guy. friends with him. Real cool guy. And he um, is sometimes a guest professor at Bard College in Red Hook, New York. Yes. Which is close to where I grew up. Yes. Yes. <laughs> He he would do a lot of events there, and then eventually they asked him to just can you just be can you kind just of stay to be a professor? And he's like, yeah, okay, all right. Yeah, I had a chance to see Neil Gaiman once, but uh, my friend was like, oh, I think all the tickets are sold out, and so I was like, it was in Red Hook, Brooklyn, and I was like, well, I'm not going all the way to fucking Red Hook if all the tickets are sold out. It was a pain in the dick to get there. Yeah, and then later on, he's like, well, I still went and I managed to get. I'm like, you fucking piece of human garbage. <laughs> What? Yeah, he came to Saratoga a few years ago. Yeah, I missed that too, because that was like right before I moved back up. And I went there, I went to it, and it was it was a recording for our local NPR station. Yep. Doing, WAMC. WAMC. They were doing an episode of The Book Show with him, and that's what the event was. And then afterwards, he was signing everybody's books, but there were so many people there that I had something to do. I had to be somewhere at a certain time. And even though we were pretty close to the front of the line to get it signed, like, I had to leave. No! And I couldn't stay because the line was just taking so long. And, like, I just couldn't I couldn't stay there. So I missed my chance at meeting <sighs> Neil Gaiman. I fucking love to meet Neil Gaiman. Yeah. He's wonderful. And Tori was, I would love to meet both of them <laughs> together. I want to just be a fly on the wall when they're hanging out and be like, hi. Yeah. In closing, Tori Amos' music is really one of a kind. What I truly appreciate is the fact that she is someone that I began listening to around the age of 11. And I can go back to the same album and hear completely different messages. But it's still so totally relatable and cathartic to who I am as a fucking adult. There's a difference between... um her music and a lot of the other music that we listen to around the same age. Yeah. Where, yeah, you can go back and listen to the same shit you listened to when you were, you know, in your prepubescent years. And you can listen to it and be like, oh, this is fun. Okay, but I'm done now. Like, no doubts, no... 
don't speak no speak don't speak <laughs> tragic kingdom it's Hel- a great album it, it's a great album and it's it's a very specific time frame but in it's our lives fun but actually it's funny because i recently went back and tried to listen to it and i'm like yeah i'm done with this <laughs> no like, i could do i, I can do tragic like, kingdom i can't do return to saturn no no and I'm like, no. But yeah, I mean, music around those times, a lot of them, like, I can always revisit Tori Amos. Like, I I have a harder time revisiting something like Sheryl Crow or Melissa Etheridge. Yeah. Like, they just don't... They speak to me more of a time period than an actual... Than a feeling or yeah. something like that. And I think that's just because Tori Amos really captures a feminine perspective that you will have your entire fucking life. Yeah. Like she didn't capture a time period. She captured a feeling Mm -hmm. within women. Mm -hmm. Like I can always know what this feels like. It's not just like a feeling that you can just conjure up whenever it's, it's a deeply ingrained um, essence. Yeah. That somehow she manages to, evoke every time she makes an album yeah which is there's there's always something in there that i can get weird yeah <laughs> how the fuck do you do that but also she's, that is an amazing gift to have yeah i mean she's very spiritual um especially when you read like piece by piece you're like oh yeah no she she's very in touch with just like a different she's level just a weird ethereal being that yeah. is not human and i don't know how she got here <laughs> or who bestowed her upon us, but I am thankful. Seriously. You know, what I really, like I had mentioned earlier about appreciating her journey from Christianity to like where she is with pantheism and just spirituality. And it's like, I get that feel because I went from being super devout Catholic to being an atheist. And it's not just this like overnight transmission. Like you spend years questioning yourself and thinking that's that's like a big thing that people have a misconception about the non-religious is that you think like oh what did something bad happen to you and now you don't believe and it's like it's not like that it's you're you evolve and she evolves as a person and you can evolve with her it's kind of funny because um a lot of people i know that grew up um in a religious household the thing that (laughs) that knocked all the religion out of them was Christian school. Mm. Like if everybody I know that went to some kind of private Christian school for high school. Yep. Immediately after in their college years was like, yeah, I'm not into this. This is not me. Yeah. (laughs) Everything that I learned in high school is wrong to me now. I feel like the most staunch atheists I know are the people who grew up in very religious households. And Mm -hmm. it's funny that you say that, though, because... I actually, it was going to a liberal arts college that started to make me question. I was very Catholic until I went away to college. And then I started to take philosophy classes and start to like do sociology and learn about other worlds and places. And I'm like, huh. And I went through the roles for a very long time of um, questioning. And then I went to deism and I was pantheistic for a little bit as well until I'm like just full-blooded atheist at this point. Mm -hmm. But I mean... Yeah, it's it's all about just like questioning and evolving and thinking, changing your way of thinking. And I think with that, with Tori's religion as well as her feminism, it's just her always stopping to think about like, 
Well, what else is there? What else can I say? And I think that's why her music will still speak to people because she's going to always stop and think, well, what do I think now? Yeah. She doesn't live in the same mindset that she lived in 10 years ago Mm -hmm. or 20 years ago. You know, so I think that's what makes her music really timeless for everybody. Is she a water sign? She's a le- no, she's a Virgo. So she's a water sign. Nope, she's an earth oh, sign. Oh, earth sign. Dirt always- sign. Dirt, dirt sign. No, <laughs> I always. She's an earth sign. I always think that Virgo is earth. Well, she's really, Virgo is she's, water. She's a cusp, really, because she's the 22nd. So she's Leo Virgo cusp. Leo's fire? Leo's fire. Virgo's mm. earth. Fire earth cusp. Interesting. Well, Earth still makes sense. It oh, it one hundred percent makes sense. She's a sensible lady. Yeah, y'all are sensible. We are. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> and Tori is an artist who really puts her money where her mouth is. She'll never make the mistake of being superficial again, even at the cost of her popularity. She did it once to failed results. So I can only imagine the lesson learned was, if you're gonna fail, you might as well do it on your own terms. Yeah. And that's kind of, Tori does her shit on her own terms. And that's a fucking valuable lesson in this Women's History Month that we are in. Be the boss bitch that you are. And if you fucking falter, at least you did your thing. Right. So good for you. Good for you. And I, Tori's still doing well. I mean, her tours are successful. People still love her. And she's doing her own thing for the most part. So keep it up, girl. We need more of that. And I would like to see her live again, actually. I'm here for it. Yeah, I'm super here for it. And I will continue listening to your music a lot, especially right now in my life, because right now I need more Torimos in my life. <laughs> Don't we all at all points in our life? Yeah. But sometimes you go through points in your life like, I just need to listen to nothing but Torimos for a while. Yeah. And that's fine. And I remember when um, Regina Spector came out, I was very mm. upset. Because I thought she was a Tori Amos ripoff. Oh, <laughs> but she's she's very different. You know, I, I can see exactly where you think she's a ripoff. But at the same time, like, I would not put her in the same to- category as Tori. Hmm. Just because I think Tori is way above her. <laughs> and I'm not trying to put Regina Spectre down. I like Regina Spectre. Like, I feel like she's more whimsical and like Tori is more metaphorical and I think that's why I put them in separate categories yeah so I don't think she can come anywhere near Tori right I mean that too that's just me like she's more of like the Ben Folds of lady piano players and Tori no 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 Regina Spector and then Tori Amos is just Jimmy Page on a piano (laughs) you can't touch it (laughs) I wouldn't want to touch that no I'm okay with that. <laughs> I think that's a good place to fucking tie a bow on that. Yeah. Jimmy Page. Let's stop before we talk more about Jimmy Page. Yes. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Thanks for putting up with our randomness today. I felt very ethereal talking about Torimos. And I think it was adequate because she is ethereal yeah, herself. I just felt sleepy because I'm fucking tired. It's been... It's We had a long weekend. Yeah, yesterday was St. Patrick's Day, so yeah, I'm tired. Yes, but you, we trooped through it like fucking boss bitches. Yeah, and now we are at the end. So if you like what you hear, why don't you go ahead and uh, 
trip yourself over to iTunes. Leave us a sweet five-star review because we're fantastic. Also, <laughs> duh. Duh. <laughs> and you can always follow us on the social medias, Twitter at Rock Candy Pod, Instagram and Facebook at Rock Candy Podcast. Leave us your comments. Leave us your suggestions. Leave us whatever. Leave us some gifts. I like a good gif. I like leave gifts. us some fan art. We got some sweet fan art last week, which is amazing. Oh, I forgot. Thank you for arguing forgot. with myself. <laughs> I'll have to post that tomorrow. Yes. Don't fucking let me forget. All right. Because I forgot last last week. We have it's it's busy it's busy life. It's been a fucking week. It's been a life. We guys <laughs> we're we're doing a lot right now. But it's good. Uh just keep on listening. Next week we got one more lady for women's history month. Woo woo. So get fucking ready for it. And uh, yeah, I mean, until then, we're just gonna hang out here and we're just gonna sit here until next Monday when we record again. Just sit here. We're just sitting here. So we'll see you guys next week. Until then, party on, Ashley. <laughs> party on, Maggie. Party on, you crazy kids out there. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Balls out. <laughs> Thank you. Them tig old bitties. <laughs> I keep thinking of that phrase for some reason. <laughs> Lately, it is so funny. Oh, my God. <laughs>